Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. We can all put another week in the books. We are skipping our news segment today because honestly, we're kind of gassed from this week. TechCrunch hosted its annual Disrupt event, and though it was hosted virtually, it was still somehow both exhilarating and exhausting. And we are being chased right now by a PR person of one of the people we interviewed who is not happy with us for reasons we don't understand. So that's also keeping us busy. Josh, if you're listening, it's time to give up the ghost, buddy. On to this week's interview. We think you're really going to enjoy this one, especially if you follow the power players in Silicon Valley, which we're guessing if you listen to this podcast, you do. Our guest is Max Chafkin, a features editor and tech reporter for Business Week Bloomberg, whose recently published book, The Contrarian, is the talk of the town. Focused around billionaire Peter Thiel and the power he wields, the book tries to understand Thiel and his motivations better, as well as to underscore Thiel's move in recent years to the very center of the most conservative faction within the Republican Party. That may seem a field to some listeners, but as Chafkin describes it, it's hugely important as it relates to Thiel's various business interests. And even more important, his role as a director on the board of Facebook, a seat he's held an iron grip on, seemingly, since 2005. Max is a really great storyteller. Here's that interview recorded this morning. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Strictly VC is brought to you by Tegas. Don't start diligence from scratch on every new name. Instead, get a head start with Tegas. It's the only platform that offers instant access to 20,000-plus investor-led expert calls on public and private companies, from seed stage to IPO. See why so many leading investors rely on Tegas to scale their research. Try it for yourself at www.tegas.co slash strictlyvc. That's www.tegas.co slash strictlyvc. Max, thank you so much for joining us today. I was just telling you offline that I'm a big fan of yours, truly. I've been following your work for years. And I've also been candidly a little bit caught up in TechCrunch Disrupt this week. So Alex has spent more time than I've been able to with your book. But I will say that my first takeaway scanning this morning is that Teal is painted as pretty unlikable. Is that your impression of him? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, really psyched to be here. When I set out to do the book, what I was trying to do is cut through the mythology of Teal. And I think the mythology kind of works both ways. There is a villain story that you hear if you're trolling around left media or left Twitter or whatever, where Peter Thiel is this blood-sucking supervillain who's secretly behind basically every evil thing that Donald Trump or any tech company has done. And that is counterbalanced by a hero story. If you spend time in tech circles, and that's Thiel as this Ayn Rand-style superhero who is the greatest investor, somebody who is both an amazing intellectual and also a builder, this amazing kind of superhero figure. And what I try to do with the book really is cut through both of those. 
both of those stories have kernels of truth, of course, and that's why they've become so widely disseminated. But I think neither of them really gets at it. And I think there are aspects of Teal's ideology that are troubling to me. I think there are aspects of the business practices that I think many people might find unlikable, but I'm not setting out to, to pass a judgment on his character. And, and of course, I try to, in the book, explain where he's coming from. You know, he's often painted as, and, and is, in some ways, a difficult figure, somebody who can behave very harshly towards people who he doesn't like or disagrees with. And I try to give some sense of where that comes from. And rather than treating him as this mythological figure, treat him as a human being. And so, so you know, I go through a whole, his history, which some of that's known, but I don't think it's all that well known. And I think it, it does help kind of understand, you know, where he's coming from. Yeah. I think the point about treating him like a human being is important. I, you know, I haven't actually talked to him in years, but I did know him from a distance a while ago and I did see a more charming side of him. Naturally, I'm a reporter and I'm not blind to the fact that people act differently to reporters, but I did feel there was a disconnect at that time, at least between the way he's been portrayed and how accessible he seemed. I remember inviting him to a dive bar one night to talk to a bunch of reporters, including Brad Stone, who was with the New York Times at the time. And he was surprisingly fun company that night. Of course, people change. I'm just wondering, did you spend time with Teal for this? Yeah, I've um, met him a handful of times over the years. And, and I, I spent some time with him off the record while I was working on the book. I have a couple of thoughts uh, to respond to, to that. The extent to which the characters of Teal differ from who he is mm. are, I think, in some ways self-imposed. This is somebody who's actually, I think, done quite a lot to resist any effort to paint him as a human being. I mean, it's it's not easy, even in private company. You know, he doesn't talk a lot about his personal life or his personal feelings or the kinds of things that are sort of useful, right, in informing an impression of, sure. of who somebody is. He's somebody who really dwells in abstractions and intellectual abstractions. It can make for really, really great company. Contrarians are amazing cocktail party attendees. Like I, and I'm definitely guilty. You know, I have contrarian tendencies, too. And I know it can be a real hit at a cocktail party. And Teal has is, is funny. And of course, he's very clever and well-read. And so like all of those things, you know, can make him a very pleasant person to talk to. But of course, he's really really kept any sense of inner life very, very close to the vest, I think even among people who he's friends with. So of course, that presents some real challenges. And he's often dealing in these abstractions and these ideas, which means that part of my job then, right, of course, is going to be to just look really carefully at the ideas and the things he's saying. And also do your best in talking to people who knew him when he was younger, people who've worked with him, his friends, and so on to form that picture. It is interesting and unsurprising maybe how closely guarded his personal life has remained. Of course, a lot of people in his sphere could say the same, but I, I wondered too, if you had a chance to talk to his husband, I, again, if there was anything more personal that he shared with you, it sounds like you didn't get very far. Uh, I mean, that. a couple of things uh, I'll say to that. Yeah. Teal did not talk to me on the record and he did not stand in the way of this book being published, but he was not helpful either. I feel like the, the Gawker thing is hanging over this and we should probably talk about it. As probably many people listening to this know, Teal funded the lawsuit right. that Hulk Hogan brought against Gawker in connection originally with a 2008 story that outed him publicly. The headline was Peter Thiel's Totally Gay People. And it was, as some people maybe remember, this brainy meditation on the nature of the closet. But, but what it really was, was the first time anybody in, outside of Peter Thiel's employees, uh, you know, 
because people at his office knew he was gay and his friends knew he was gay, but the outside world didn't. And he regarded that as a serious invasion of privacy, but he's done a lot to keep himself private. Mm. I definitely am interested in his interior life, but he hasn't really made those accessible. And as far as I know, he hasn't made those really accessible to anyone. So that's not what this book is about. The book is about his power and how he does business and how he achieves influence. And I think that ultimately... Uh, is both more interesting to me as a journalist, as somebody who's covered the tech industry, and I think is maybe more consequential. Max, you talk about how Teal deals in abstractions. In my view, he has so many extreme views. He wrote an essay for Cato Unbound in which he criticized women's suffrage. He appears to be in favor of some strongman democracy in which builders call the shots. He believes the FDA should be abolished. I mean, I could go on and on. Instead of The Contrarian, did you ever think of calling this book The Misanthrope? <laughs> There's a quote from uh, Jeff Bezos kind of sums up where you're going with this, I guess. I can't remember if they asked him about Gawker or Trump, but Bezos said, you know, the thing about contrarians is they're usually wrong. And I think there is th that thing running through a lot of this. And I, I really do think, first, number one, why I didn't pass the judgments that you're suggesting or is because I, I think that it's important that the book approach Teal journalistically. Obviously, I want to allow readers to make their own judgments. And I think that many of those ideas are abhorrent. But I also think it's worth approaching it with a little bit more neutrality, especially going into a book like this. I also think he's made some effort to hide his views. The thing you referenced initially where he complained in this Cato essay about women and welfare participants having the right to vote, he kind of like half walked that back. He didn't take it back, but he said, I'm not advocating taking their right away. I guess I was just bemoaning it. <laughs> I mean, again, these you get these like, sorry, not sorry things out of him sometimes, which I think further complicates any effort to understand him. But I do think that these views, and I think in particular, the hostility to democracy is something that is really, really worth paying close attention to, both from a political perspective, because Thiel has an enormous amount of political influence, and also from a, a tech and tech governance perspective. It's a little unsettling that somebody who is, I'd argue, you know, the, the most influential person in Mark Zuckerberg's inner circle, longest serving board member, a longtime friend of this company, Facebook, which I, I think is by far the most powerful um, media company in human history doesn't think that democracy is good. As somebody who believes in the basics of like the U.S. Constitution and some of these values that I think many of us share, it, it is a little bit unsettling. And you kind of want to want to see how far does he want to take that and how far will people who are connected to him take that? Do they agree or do they disagree? We definitely want to get into where Teal wants to go with his political beliefs and what he's done with Trump. But I wanted to touch on what you said about Bezos and contrarians. I was interested in reading this book to learn how precarious Thiel's success was. He didn't really have a winning strategy at PayPal until his engineers discovered X.com's business plan in a dumpster. His hedge fund, which once had $8 billion under management, blew up, in part because he didn't know how to take advantage of the downturn that he forecast. Palantir had very little business until as late as 2016, and only Thiel's involvement with Trump salvaged its prospects. The only real success seems to be Facebook, but he declined to invest when the company was raising money at a $500 million valuation because he thought that it was too expensive. What do you think of his perception as a business genius and 
Where do you think he stands now? Well, I want to push back on a, on a couple of things a little bit. The book has this story that, that you brought up about PayPal's business model, right? That story is somewhat disputed. I talked to Elon Musk about this, and he was like, basically, who cares? Because the truth is, there were a lot of companies back then who had this exact same idea. That is one way that the Teal myth gets exaggerated. Like He had this amazing idea to have payments on the internet when anyone who was around back then remembers that that was the world's most obvious thing. It wasn't some amazing insight about the future. It was just like, hey, people are on the internet. They're going to need money. Now, there were lots and lots of ways where PayPal pushed the envelope ethically. And I think you're bringing up a, one possible example, and there are others. And also not just push the envelope ethically, but also push the envelope in terms of normal business practices. They pioneered what I think people now talk about as this blitzscaling strategy, where you just basically spend more or less an unlimited amount of money in order to grow your market share. I think that what is exaggerated about Teal is... The execution, which you're bringing up to some extent with the hedge fund thing. He definitely is really good at predicting the future. And I'd say he's a very good trader. So a lot of people think of him as a venture capitalist. And he, of course, he is a venture capitalist, probably one of the most successful venture capitalists. But I think at his heart, he's more of a hedge fund guy who buys low and sells high. And the execution there isn't always perfect. But I think when you look at that you just described, he was basically... Insightful enough to see that there was a bubble in internet services to get in on that, despite having no obvious background in tech at, at the time that he got involved in PayPal. He was smart enough to see that there was going to be a lot of interest from the US government in data mining. And so he's, he found a way to sell into that bubble. So I think that's the central insight. And the other side of this coin is that, as you say, he's very quick to cut his losses. He's not somebody like Elon Musk who will just sit there at the casino and bet on red every time until he wins. Teal is somebody who is always assessing where he stands, how much money has he made, is it time to get out? And so, yes, he made this a brilliant investment in Facebook, but after that brilliant investment, basically was selling, saw that he was up and got out, and, and he made a lot of money. The same thing happened actually with Palantir. Its valuation has gone way, way up since the IPO, but Teal started selling very aggressively as soon as he was allowed to. And I think it's another case of wanting to take profits. That's investor speak. But I think that is to some extent how he thinks. And I think you can kind of extend that rationale to the Trump thing. Because I think the Trump thing was partly ideological, but it was partly a trade, an insight that Trump was undervalued and that by donating to a political action committee supporting his candidacy, Teal could get in the inner circle. And, and that's exactly what happened. That's interesting what you said about Musk and his differences with Teal. You ask in the book, does Teal believe in anything? And I'm wondering, what do you think? So one thing about Teal that we haven't talked about, and I think one reason why we are talking about him, um, is because he has this amazing following, right? He's the Don of the PayPal mafia. Just to summarize quickly, just in case anyone doesn't know, it's you know this group of early PayPal executives who have basically an influence network in Silicon Valley where they invest in each other's companies. He's the leader of that group, but it's not just that group, right? There are these outer layers of the Tealverse, and those include the guys and gals who win these Teal fellowships, which is where he pays 100K 
to young people to get them to stop out or drop out of school and, and to start companies instead. And then you have the kind of aspirants, these these people who read zero to one or read the class notes from the, the Stanford class that it's based on, and they want to be like him. And he's this like influencer figure. And you can go really deep in that world. There's almost like teal fan fiction where people will write these long essays, this like crazy exegesis trying to knit it all together, right? Knitting it together as, oh, this is all about Rene Girard, who's this French philosopher Teal really likes, or it's all about Christianity. And I think that Teal's beliefs are pretty inconsistent, and not pretty inconsistent, extremely inconsistent. Teal has said this himself. I put this in the book, but you know he has this background program running in his head, just basically telling him to disagree with whatever a large group of people is agreeing with, this contrarian instinct. I think that's one explanation for why, for instance, a gay immigrant with two Stanford degrees endorses Donald Trump, a crass New Yorker who's extremely hostile to immigrants, who's from a political party that is hostile to gays. So maybe it's just contrarian impulses. I think another explanation is that Teal is a capitalist and he's somebody who is constantly optimizing for the success of his companies, for his personal wealth. And maybe if you're standing in his shoes or, or the shoes of one of his supporters, you would say he's optimizing for the future, for these tech companies to develop and grow bigger and bring us the wonderful technologies that we all know and love. Now, I personally do not think that Teal's net worth equals future success, but I do think that's how he sees it. And so I think that's an explanation for, for why these beliefs are so in inconsistent. It's not the same as saying he's a nihilist. It's actually, he's adopting a bunch of positions that are consistent with him doing really well in the world. I do think that Teal does have one core belief, at least, which is this sense that founders have a privileged position in our society. He's talked about both in praise of structures at companies where, where the founder, the Mark Zuckerberg figure, gets all the power, has these special voting shares where they can basically make any decision. They're essentially dictators of the company. He's talked about this as an interesting model for other forms of governance. He's funded people who have talked about, I'm talking about Curtis Yarvin and, and some others who have talked about the idea of applying this model to the United States, that maybe the United States just needs a, you know, a, a, a Peter Thiel type figure or Mark Zuckerberg type figure to be our dictator. And I think that basically he thinks that these founders, as I said, occupy a privileged position and they should do whatever it takes to accelerate the future and grow their companies. And it's, it's a worldview that not only values again, growth and expansion, like this very aggressive hyper growth, the blitzscaling, but it also values breaking the rules. And it doesn't just say that it's okay to break the rules. I think the value system actually says that it's a social good when you break the rules because you're violating the consensus, you're helping to change perceptions. And there are lots of ways that that plays out across Teal's ideology and also across a lot of Silicon Valley where it's not just the rules don't apply, it's that it's better to break them. Max, I found it curious that Mark Andreessen, who has sat on the board of Facebook since 2008 alongside Teal, doesn't factor much into this book. It seems like he's only mentioned in passing. I'm just wondering, what does he think of Peter? Do you know? They're friends and I think allies. Andreessen seems to be libertarian. I don't think he's as politically out there, I guess, as Teal. But I think he certainly shares some of these beliefs. I think they should be regarded as allies. They have a lot of similar feelings, say, about the press and about the primacy of technology. But of course, Andreessen has donated money to Democrats. He's not a Trumpist Republican in the same way that Peter Teal is. You also talked about Teal's biggest and most important bet really being Facebook. That's where he wields the most power. 
you know, suggest in the book that he's used his position as a board member to persuade Mark Zuckerberg to be more allowing of an anything goes, including disinformation type stance when it comes to what people are posting to the platform. Facebook, of course, takes baby steps <laughs> to address this on occasion, and I guess maybe increasingly. You also suggest that there's some friction between Teal and Zuckerberg and has been for a, a long time, especially as he's come to embrace Trumpism. Do you anticipate that he would be a board member for much longer? Do you think that he's uh, been sidelined in any way, that he wields as much power as he has historically? I honestly think that's one of the most intriguing questions. I mean, it's a very insidery question, so I don't know how many people totally care. But mm -hmm. to me, the relationship between Thiel and Zuckerberg is endlessly fascinating. There's an anecdote in the book that I'll bring up. When Facebook went public, its stock crashed. And Thiel sold the stock pretty quickly. But of course, he stayed on the board. And I, I talk about this meeting that they had at the Facebook campus to pump people up to get them to feel better. Because when you're working at a company and the stock's going down, it's like the world's most depressing thing. Everybody every day is losing money. The, the press is beating you up. They were getting sued. It's just like an endless parade of bad news. And they had speakers come in to try to perk up the troops. And Peter Thiel gave a talk. And during the talk, he said... My generation was promised flying cars. Instead, we got Facebook. That's a spin on a one-liner that Teal really loves. Normally, he attacks Twitter when he says that. He says, we were promised flying cars, but we got 140 characters. But he made it Facebook in this case. And it's like, if you're sitting in a crowd or if you're Mark Zuckerberg, it's like, like oh, so the longest serving board member, mentor, guiding light of my business philosophy just got up there and told me I sucked. And I think that is amusing. It speaks to the extent to which Teal just doesn't care. That's part of his thing. And that's part of being a contrarian. I do think that Zuckerberg, and I write this in the book, actually respects that about Peter, right? When you're Mark Zuckerberg, it's very hard to get honest feedback. No one's going to ever tell you you suck, except maybe Peter Thiel will. And I, so I think that's part of the appeal. But as you say, Thiel has really, really been tiptoeing up to the line a lot over the last few years. Just to give you a few examples, he's often talked about tech monopoly and, and, and tech power, and he singles out Google which I guess from Mark Zuckerberg's point of view is maybe nice because it maybe it takes the heat off of Facebook, but it, it doesn't help that much because Facebook and Google are very similar companies. And if you're going to regulate one, you might conceivably regulate the other. I'm not sure Zuckerberg is thrilled with that. He has at various times embraced this right-wing activist project in Silicon Valley. You have all these James O'Keefe and others who are intent on exposing what they see as the hypocrisy of both Facebook, Google, Apple, all the big tech companies. And Teal has subtly embraced those, but he's also increasingly embracing them in public. Right now, Teal has two candidates running in the U.S. Senate races. They're both running in Republican primaries, Blake Masters in Arizona and J.D. Vance in Ohio. And Teal has donated 10 million bucks to super PACs supporting each of these candidates. These guys are constantly attacking Facebook and not just attacking Facebook on a intellectual level or raising questions. They're doing almost personal attacks against Mark Zuckerberg. There's a, a J.D. Vance ad created by Teal's Pack, Teal's Money Funding This Ad, where it's this like dark tones and there's a, a contingent of elites in this country out of touch. And there it is. There's Mark Zuckerberg's face. And that is just really, I mean, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, God, I mean, that must be just a continual source of a headache. And so I think he must be tempted. As I write in the book, and some of this was reported previously in the Wall Street Journal, there was one instance where Zuckerberg asked Teal if he thought he should resign, and Teal did not, and, and Zuckerberg didn't fire him. So there has at least been some tension. 
I think that it, it could happen. And I think the question that you asked about Zuckerberg, like has Teal's value diminished, right? Is his influence diminished? I think that's a really astute question because with Biden in charge, with the Democrats in power controlling presidency and both houses of Congress, Teal's connection to the right is less valuable. That said, there's a very good chance that Republicans will retake the Senate in 2022. And there's a chance that some of those senators will be very, very close to Peter Teal. So that could drastically increase his value. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's very possible that Teal could resign from the Facebook board. And I think if he did, we would probably see more explicit criticisms from him because I think he has some loyalty to Mark Zuckerberg and loyalty to Facebook. He does believe that founders are these guys, special people and he's been there from the beginning. But I don't think he's totally just being strategic when he's funding these anti-Facebook people. I think he legitimately has some of the same concerns that a lot of Facebook critics have and is probably legitimately conflicted about it. So it sounds like you think that if Teal does step away, it would be Teal's decision, or maybe I'm misunderstanding. But I do wonder, you you mentioned in the book that a lot of people that are close to Teal and admire him are also terrified of him. And despite the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is probably the most powerful person in the world, I wonder if your sense of things is that he's scared of Teal. I think Zuckerberg could fire Teal, right? Mark Zuckerberg is a formidable guy. He's worth a lot of money. He could afford a war with Peter Teal and he could afford the backlash. But I think there's a question about whether he'd want to, because I think that the reason Teal is able to get away with what he's able to get away with, with respect to both serving on the board and being this public critic, has to do with the fact that there would be a price to pay if Mark Zuckerberg fired him. And the price would be a huge freaking story. Mm -hmm. Teal has been such an important ally to Mark Zuckerberg during the Trump presidency. Because think about it, there has been this running meme in conservative circles, and I, I do not buy into it, but I, I'm just going to describe it, which is that Facebook is systematically discriminating against right-wing points of view. It is a liberal company staffed by liberal employees who hate Donald Trump. And as a result, it is tipping the scale, putting its thumb on the scale and advancing the interests of the left. It's, it's very similar to the argument that people make, say, about the New York Times. And and that meme is very powerful, right? It's politically salient. You see it come up in political campaigns. And you saw during the Trump presidency, he brought it up all the time. Zuckerberg had an awesome response to that, which is, hey, I've got this board member. He's not just a Republican. He's not just some middle of the road conservative like George Bush guy or something. He is Peter freaking Teal. He's the guy who's too crazy for Steve Bannon. He is a, a dyed-in-the-wool Trumpist. He has absolute credibility, I think as a conservative and as a Trumpist. He donated money to Trump days after the leak of the Access Hollywood tape. No one can question, I don't think, Teal's bona fides there. And I think that gives Facebook a really, really powerful argument when somebody like Josh Hawley, of course, somebody's taking money from Peter Teal or Ted Cruz, another person's taking money for Teal, comes along and attacks Facebook. And I think if he left, and especially if he was fired, it would be open season. And like I said, I mean, Facebook is a really big and really powerful company. And I don't think it's like an existential issue for Mark Zuckerberg, but I think it might be more comfortable to keep his friend and board member, Peter Teal, despite the fact that they might have some profound differences of opinion on the value of Facebook. I thought it was interesting the point you raised in the book about how Twitter and social media potentially undermined Teal's influence by making it easier for other investors to create their own networks. And it seems like one of the major reasons why Teal made such a big move into politics. Do you think his investment has paid off? Yeah, I think it's 
undeniably paid off. And I realize that's a controversial thing to say because I think people who like Teal will often say things like, you wouldn't believe the amazing personal risk he took to support Trump. He's been canceled. He had to move to Los Angeles. I mean, I, I think he's spent quite a bit of time in the Bay Area since he was run out of town, I guess. But I think that if you take a few steps back, Teal goes into the Trump presidency worth about, I don't know, $2.5 billion. He has a political profile, but it's a really small political profile. He's known as a guy who supported this really unsuccessful Ron Paul PAC. Ron Paul's the PAC was a complete failure and, and Ron Paul's candidacy did not really go anywhere. The 2012 candidacy, he doesn't have a ton of political influence and he leaves the Trump presidency with a much increased profile and, and a huge amount of political influence. He is going to be a headliner at any conservative political conference he goes to. Anyone will take his calls now, I think, in the Republican political world. And of course, he's gotten substantially wealthier. His wealth has probably more than doubled since then. And that's large largely due to the success of Palantir. Palantir had this long and pretty tortured history prior to about 2016. And it's since won tons of government contracts. Those government contracts have led to contracts in the corporate world. Things are really, really going well for that company. They went public. The valuation has shot up. Now, of course, I want to be careful and acknowledge that that might have nothing to do with Teal's connections to Donald Trump. But it's pretty hard for me to think that it hasn't helped. When you're talking about government contracts, there's always a political element. And when your de facto controlling shareholder is in the inner circle in the White House, I, I really think that's going to make a big impact. And what's happened post-January 6th, after the failed insurrection, it's very interesting. Most of the people who were connected closely to Trump have seen their fortunes not go super well, unless they made some break with Trump, right? There are reports about these inner circle members having trouble getting jobs in the corporate world, just really having trouble getting anyone but Trump to listen to them. And Teal, on the other hand, I think has come out looking pretty well. He managed to get off the sinking ship before it fully sank, but he also crucially did not go never Trump. Most of these guys broke with the whole Trump movement. Teal, on the other hand, has embraced the Trump movement. He is funding these candidates who are as out there as Trump, if not more out there. And the main difference between people like Blake Masters and J.D. Vance is they seem a little bit more competent. They're ideologically disciplined and they're not just talking about this stuff. They're actually talking about ways to make it real. And Teal has set himself up as the patron to this movement. And it's not a huge part of the American electorate, the, the dyed-in-the-wool Trumpers, the Patriot Party or the Trump Party or whatever you want to call that segment of the electorate, but it's not that small either. And I think there's a chance that it might be growing. So Teal has transformed himself from being this marginal figure to being a figure at the very center, I think, of the conservative movement. And it's really similar to what happened when he started PayPal, where he was outside looking in and he found a way to buy his way into it. And he comes out of the PayPal IPO looking like the tech genius. And I think we're seeing that play out again. Max, we have to let you go, but I'm just wondering if anyone in the Teal universe has reached out to you about the book and if you have been able to get any sense of what Teal thinks about what you've written. Well, I've heard from lots of people in the Teal universe, but not all of them agree. <laughs> There's been some public commentary from people who are very close to Teal, you know, kind of crapping on the book. And I've heard through a, a mutual friend that he's read the book and takes some issues with it. I'm not surprised by that. As I said, there's a contingent there that is just very bought in to a mythology. And it's a mythology that I didn't embrace for better or worse. And, you know, as they see it, obviously it's for worse. I think a book like this had to be written. And I'm not saying people 
people shouldn't read, you should read Teal's book. He's an important figure. And in Zero to One, he gives a really clear explanation of his philosophy. And I think people should study that. That's kind of like why I wrote the book, because I think this is a person who has too much power to just accept those myths as fact. And so, yeah, I, I don't expect that he's thrilled with the book, but I tried to be scrupulously fair and I tried to write with an empathy and to take him as a human. And, and hopefully, you know, it'll be up to readers to judge if it's successful or not. Well, we highly suggest that readers check it out. Thank you so much. Such a treat to talk to you. You're a great guest. <laughs> Connie and Alex, thank you so much. Really, uh, thanks for the questions. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.